welcome everyone to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that he too went to grad school at Columbia. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Oh, Matt, I, I just got in from a house I don't own in a car I just borrowed. For the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek, episode 205, Kinbaku, is brought to you by Einstein's Fish Eggs. $200 an ounce, they'll make you wretch, and not even the taste of German beer will wash it out. <laughs> well done, Pete. Well done. Now, Pete, based on some pre-show discussion, um, do you know what the episode title means? I know everything, Matt. Let's pretend that Spoiler Pete doesn't, but I will humor you. What does Kinbaku mean? Well, Pete, I have to admit, I, I had to look it up, and I bet that uh, good old Catholic boy that you are, just like Matt Murdock, uh, something tells me you might not know what it means. So I'm going to read directly from the Wikipedia. Kinbaku means tight binding. It is the Japanese style of bondage, or BDSM, which involves tying up the bottom using simple yet visually intricate patterns, usually with several pieces of rope. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where we're at in today's episode, Pete. Order in the court! One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser here begins 10 years ago after the previous episode, leaving us hanging with Electra having shown up. We have the sounds of smooth jazz. There's dancing. And we're suddenly in a fancy party kitchen. A waiter puts a tray down and long hair foggy grabs an appetizer off of it, and wretches. So we know we're in the past. Indeed. it's Especially, Pete, just need to emphasize it's smooth jazz. You can, it's, so it's so smooth. smooth. Um, they're, they're enjoying some of the munchies there, uh, especially trying out the cavey ear for the first time. And uh, I like kind of this idea that they're they're – attempting their upward mobility um by trying to crash a party after all who would kick out a blind man um there's also a great point of view shot uh from matt as he makes his way through the party proper kind of suggesting he's less clear in his skills uh, but still sensing all sorts of things from afar yeah between the pompous jackass dialogue about yachts and cabin cruisers um expensive dance lessons how the jets are uh it's the bangles the gold bangles on the wrist of electronachios and the vodka martini being slurped by those lips that grab his attention Pete, it's not just the bangles. We also see some luscious lips sipping a teeny martini. Pete, that looks like a lecture from the last episode. It does, but 10 years earlier. Matt walks towards her and is about to be uh, rebuffed by her presumed security. In fact, he indeed is rebuffed. He's told it's time to go. Then she says he's with her, and that takes us to the title card. I don't believe it was her security. It was the party's security, and she bailed him out. 
you know what? I may be, <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what I did. Not even maybe. There is a, an episode, not an episode. There's a, a, a Spider-Man comic. I think it was a Spider-Man comic, but I read a comic fairly recently where um, either Peter Parker or Matt Murdock runs into her and her security guy, you know, rebuffs, rebuffs the, the, the proposed suitor. So I was probably, probably bringing some of that in terms of assuming it was her personal security. Um, but I certainly would agree that that's not something kind of clearly, um, clearly stated in this episode. Back in the present in Matt's apartment with thunder rumbling and German beer sipping, uh, Electra explains he's never been hard to find, but that's not what he asked. Why are you here? And she rehashes a lot of the details of the intimacy of their relationship, that the furniture has improved, but she liked breaking in his old futon. Uh, it's a nice place. Too bad about the clothes, which comes back around in a little bit in the flashback. Um, but would he believe if she said she missed him? No, of course not. He's a smart man. That Columbia education really pays off, Matt, and I can tell you it does. <laughs> this is a sneakily expositional scene, and as I was watching it, I was saying somehow they're getting away with putting exposition up front. It doesn't feel as clunky as when other shows do it. I don't know if that's just being wrapped up in her charm or in the moment, or if they're doing something that's a little bit different, a little bit less kind of mission briefing um, when other shows do it. And it's a bit more egregious. Um, perhaps it sticks out more here to be fair. They haven't seen each other in all this time. So that is a time to reminisce. Um, we, we get that she's alone in the world. She's cleaning up her father's messes. Her father is dead and dealt with Pete, the old standby, going all the way back to, let me check the calendar, the uh, the uh, Agent Carter podcast by Fantastic Geek. It's the Roxxon Corporation up to dubious good. Yes, she is in town for a meeting with them, um, and she's staying at her uh penthouse midtown so that'll just have to do rather than staying with matt but rather than retreading down memory lane uh he wants to know what she's there for she needs a lawyer of course he's not that type of lawyer but between roxon's dealings in energy cleaning supplies macaroni and cheese i just loved it in uh lod uh young's uh, accent there it really really uh, gives us the whole cosmopolitan feel of this dangerous multinational corporation which also just may be dealing in child labor and the slave trade um it, it's a wonderfully illustrative moment for her personality as well this notion of like well, you're some kind of lawyer. Just be ready to lawyer in the morning. And it's, no, no, I'm a defense lawyer, not, you know, a corporate lawyer or tax or finance, you know, that whole world. Furthermore, 15 hours to research everything isn't enough. And he, he starts to list the things. And it's just, it, it captures her sense of, um, of, of expectation of every, everyone around her and also her, her ignorance. But between her father's uh, lousy, or shall we say, S-word investments, 55th 
of the season so far. 55. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're climbing. Um, the reason she has to have this meeting at the Yakatomi building tomorrow seems to be to save her rather sizable fortune from uh, being co-opted by this dangerous and unethical corporation. She's she's pandering, Matt. We just don't realize it yet. It seems, Pete, that she's looking to get the band back together like old times, but Matt's happy being a solo act, or I guess as we'll see later in the episode and saw a little bit of last episode, he's uh, he's looking to play a new duet, but uh, he tells her as such by saying, get out. And the story gets on out to the law office where the page three, only page three, headline <laughs> is punished or punished. Let's just pause one second. Two things there. First of all, this guy has shot and killed 15 people with the one gang, multiple gangs. He's a citywide story. Only page three. Yeah. Second of all, punish or punished. Come on. The, 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 we could do better than that. We, I'm sure we could do better off the top of our heads right now. Really um, lousy headline. But uh, TV shows are not in the business of coming up with headlines per se. Um, and later on when we get the New York bulletin involved for the first time this season and back for the series, uh, there's some, there's some missteps there as well. Uh, you mean like later on, there's the one article that we're supposed to look at and then there's the other article written in nonsensical words. Yeah. Or bumping headlines, which is a major sin, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in good time. This ruthless vigilante captured however matt and as foggy reads matt comes in we establish it is the next morning after the punisher has been captured uh they have nothing for breakfast matt is neither uh hungry nor hungover and he can't really help them foggy can't because uh he needs electrolytes um, potassium, a jolt of caffeine, and the only piece of food they have is the last piece of Mrs. Denizio's peach cobbler. Pete, this is how you know that although much of the psychological discussion has focused on the mental state of Frank Castle, it's a reminder that Matt Murdock, too, is suffering deep psychological damage. Who would turn aside a decent peach cobbler? It, it, this 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 sends a chill to my very core. Not for nothing, but I I don't think uh, a kindly Italian woman from Hell's Kitchen that you probably helped with a landlord issue is the source to go for peach cobbler. And that's nothing against kindly Italian women with legal problems. It's just not the number one place to get your peach cobbler. Perhaps so. Um, anyhow, the the nibbling on a client's peach cobbler not a metaphor. Uh, Foggy hopes that the office is going to get back to normal. Q, Karen coming in, uh, you know, since the office romance is going to make things quite abnormal. Uh, she's brought a coffee, uh, or three coffees rather, and papers. Papers screaming about Frank Castle, the deranged lunatic. She also references that New York City has five newspapers. What is this, 1996? <laughs> well, hang on for a second. The Times, The Post... Uh, the Daily News. Uh -huh. Technically, you could count Newsday, even though they're out on the island, and um, the the pink one that's a weekly. 
So yeah, you could say, and if we're going to count the bullet in, then there's six. So would would make sense. Okay. Hey, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so I guess this still can be 2016. Um, <laughs> Karen at this point admits to having broken into Castle's house. You might say, Pete, Castle's castle, huh? Huh? Oh, are um, you right? You're and, you're right. And she knows about his family and his military background. There's some some finger wagging there, but. Uh, Again, Foggy is just counseling for the office to get back to normal. No more crazies. No more adventures. Not like last time. Yeah, potential clients, real ones with bank in the bank. And, oh, wait a minute. Matt knows somebody. Pete, we'll get to Matt's new friend uh, in a minute, or at least the new one sending him some bank. But uh, first, Foggy steps away so that Matt and Karen can be coy about last night being a thing but not a full thing most of all matt wants his his well-paced dinner first the flirty stuff concluded foggy then returns and declares that there's been a large deposit in their bank account pete that's from matt's new friend who's an old friend and it leads to matt stammering yeah and pretty forward that he had already turned her down yet she has made this deposit so he's got to excuse himself to uh, to go check on it. With that, we flash back to 10 years ago where Matt orders himself an electric drinks. Uh, he's able to smell her martini. Uh, Electra calls him on his aspirations. She, too, is able to read others. Uh, she calls him effectively working, quote, the blind thing, but mm. also dumb. Um, which but is pretty usually that, that, at the same time. Indeed, that's that's not a combo you hear often. You work the blind thing well, but you're also dumb. His retort is that the game is just beginning. She might like her artisan tequilas and have charm school graces and lots of money, but she's just bored. Daddy's money can't buy the one thing she needs, the unexpected. And for them to be placed here formally for the first time at a fancy faculty party begs the question what is she doing there we know what uh nelson and murdoch are doing there well i think that as as we see as the episode unfolds she goes where she wants to go i'm i'm okay with there being no explanation i mean you could say well maybe dad's a donor or this or that the other just she's there because she wants to be there and walked her way in talked her way in (laughs) Pete, it's like the movie The Paper, which says that to get into any building, all you need is a clipboard and a tie. Uh, That's actually a confident wave, but, you know, that has nothing to do with the fact that I own the movie and have taught it about 14 times. Well, Pete, speaking of things that you own, uh, Matt and Electra walk out and they head to her car, a cherry red Ferrari, by the way. Which she does not own and they speed off in. I think it's kind of it's it's debatable whether she owns it like she presents it as oh whoever whosever car it is then how'd she get the keys like i i think it's kind of in this interesting gray area oh it's a gray area the character is a completely gray area uh with that we return to the present day mr tower has arrived unexpectedly to see nelson and murdoch although uh, only the nelson half is in he wants everything that they have on the Grote case in exchange for Nelson and Murdoch to get off D.A. Reyes's what list, Pete? The S list, 57. 
there wow there's an actual list matt but foggy is more than happy to uh cooperate once he sees a subpoena oh oh wait you you don't have one of those do you Eldon Henson does such a wonderful job when Foggy is actually able to be a lawyer. And I get it. This is not a show about lawyers. This is a show about, you know, superpowers and and extraordinary things. And occasionally they do law stuff. Um, To see him talking the law, how he has worked hard for his law degree, implied zing on Mr. Tower. I don't even know if that's supposed to be racial, but... Either I don't, way, it's I don't believe it's so. You know, somebody that winds up as an assistant assistant district attorney, you know, clearly had some kind of help in winding up in that spot. And that's not anything in terms of race or affirmative action. But they landed the cushy job, and here is this struggling defense attorney firm that these guys scraped every bit of the way to establish and now they've finally broken through and the DA has her uh, her high heel on their throat. <laughs> well, I like too how Foggy, though speaking lawyer to lawyer, is also able to make it clear to the audience to share privileged information, mm-hmm. even about a uh, deceased client. Other people have been disbarred for less. So it's made clear to us in just simple terms. This isn't just a you know, well, lawyer to lawyer, rah, rah, rah. it's not just even a protocol issue. It's against the, I mean, could you say the law? I mean, if it can get you disbarred, that's part of like legal code, right? Again, how well he can trust this guy in terms of not rolling over on them. Oh, we got these files from Nelson and Murdoch, which is the only source they could have come from. Um, but Tower explains that uh, Reyes has staked all of her political chips on the conviction of the Punisher. If things go her way, there'll be an opening in that office, and uh, he needs to, uh, Foggy needs to start considering the benefits for his firm. But like he said, show me the subpoena, and he'll cooperate like a son of a bitch. It's uh, floated there by Tower as well that he, Tower, might be getting the top job. So it would be nice to know the new DA. Um, I also felt that there was the possibility that Tower was saying, you know, Reyes could be on her way out, good or bad. Maybe it's because she's headed to Gracie Mansion. Maybe it's because she runs and loses. Maybe some of, you know, maybe some of these dirty tricks catch up with her. Um, again, not stated. It's kind of got this sense, maybe tying back the last episode, that change might be coming one way or another um but regardless if uh, nelson murdoch don't hope uh help rather reyes is going to steamroll them uh but as uh, foggy points out nelson murdoch are still here out to the street matt where uh, matt murdoch taps his way towards the yakatomi building but once he's there when he hears the whirring of a security wand and the beeping of security doors, it crosses his mind, how am I going to get in there, which is no better time than a f- for a flashback. And Pete, we know that back we have flashed because there's more of those rectangular sunglasses, which snark aside is a great way to keep track of where we are. Yes, his hair is a factor too, but if it's you know slightly darker or whatever, but 
round sunglasses are today square sunglasses are in the you know in in, in the years influenced by the matrix trilogy <laughs> i love the small yet noticeable things they do to make our characters younger foggy has longer hair they both dress slightly differently uh matt's hair is is more combed and and just that like little boy haircut bit shorter it's great in fact i hadn't noticed how um vertical his modern hair is in that in that you know kind of cool guy i'm on tv my hair is gelled three inches high but it looks great on screen um kind of look and when you when you pat that down yeah it does make him look rather like a little boy but into Fogwell's gym we go, glass breaking, uh, but uh, Electra will stake him for that. And the famous Fogwell's mat, site of Battle and Jack Murdoch's greatest victories. Indeed it was. And I thought it was a nice time to get some of the background on Dad and his death from organized crime. Yes, we're headed to the mentioning of Roscoe Sweeney and all that that is uh, is explored in this episode, but it doesn't feel like a setup. It actually felt like just a reminder of the backstory for an audience who might have only seen that portion a year ago. Um, perhaps it's backstory for the new audience. I think there's a certain discussion perhaps to be had if you are Netflix do you, do you include things organically in the first mm -hmm. handful of episodes so people you can just say oh just start here and then if you like it go back it's not that you're you're behind the eight ball and it's season seven and you must start at season one um so not knowing if that's not knowing where that came from i thought that the fact that we're getting it here was was a nice reminder nonetheless um, and then, of course, uh, that that mention of Roscoe Sweeney, the man who ordered the hit and then up and disappeared. I'm sure we won't do anything with that. Not at all. I love the direction they have gone in this flashback to inform their relationship. And it would have been so easy, a total temptation for the writers to retreat, to retread the beats of the 2003 movie, The Rich Dad. And it's even mentioned in this scene, you know, uh, studying with different masters, like is so thrust in our face by Jennifer Garner's character. And she did a decent enough job in that role, but they flip it. It's okay, we're gonna use the past of their relationship to inform Electra of Murdoch's father and everything that went on there. And she takes a swing at him in this ring here. He's able to move to dodge. Of course, we know why she's not clear. And it ultimately culminates Matt in, uh, you know, a, a, a PG 16 moment. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, also slipped in nicely is the idea that they've been palling around for the last few weeks. So a bit of a, of a time jump there. Yes. And um, I, I like that his initial instinct is to not hit back. Um, and then he does. Not that I'm saying women should be hit, but I think that here we're, we're talking about equal rights, baby. And we're also talking about some sparring in the, in the square circle. Um, 
and then you know they they kiss because that's what one does and then there's slow motion and soaring score and Electra exhalations telling us all you need to know about the passions and nothing brings you back from that than a horn in present day oh oh but before we get there pete and this is why i made mention of the uh the the definition of kinbaku that particular passionate scene ends with uh, the briefest, uh, no doubt, consensual moment of Matt's hand around Electra's neck, speaking to kind of darker aspirations um, and all of that that we'll get into later on. It's a good catch. I did not. I was blushing, so I, I couldn't see over the redness of my cheeks. I was looking through the fingers covering my eyes. Yeah, sure you were. <laughs> Um, in the present time, Matt decides uh, that wiser birds go around the corner or rather up the fire escape and using construct construction scaffolding to get to the top of the building next door. Um, he's then able to hear into Yakitomi, uh, the Yakitomi building where Japanese businessmen have brought an American to explain things to Electra, her, her girlish mind being so girlish and all, and uh, her smirking laugh is the perfect response we're in on at least the beginning of the joke. Uh, but I, I certainly, Pete, was not prepared for what happens next. The passive aggression on both sides in this scene is palpable. Uh, no wonder she makes an impact from the moment that we see her Christian Louboutins fill the camera and head in there. Uh, oh, we're going to have somebody explain this to you. Here's Stan Gibson. He's our bunny man for the Japanese arm. He'll answer uh, any questions you have. She, of course, pours herself a drink, which otherwise might seem inappropriate in this kind of business meeting. And as she's doing it, Matt is visible through the window past the water towers. It's not quite clear there if she notices them. But, of course, later on, she admits to having seen him. I like that it is by implication that she she may see him. Um, also, I mean, just think for a second what that to get that shot, the work that would have gone into that, which is you need to clear it with the two buildings where yeah. you're filming. Then you need to have either the actor or more than likely a, a photo double, um, you know, go over there, obviously with someone because not going to, you know, be completely by themselves and the other person needs to hide they probably have a, a walkie-talkie or a cell phone or whatever you know okay three two one now you stand there no you move too much and you're filming across two buildings to get that shot and it's a shot that's just i don't know it's just so authentic because it's authentic and it makes the scene it really does but uh as electra and the others there prepare to be dazzled by uh, Mr. Gibson's financial acumen, we whisk across town, Matt, to the New York Bulletin, which I didn't forget at all. I didn't need to watch <laughs> carefully for headlines just to make sure. Um, and there, Karen is, to, is there to see the editor, whose name I also didn't forget, but I'll let you mention, Pete. Mr. Ellison. Mr. Ellison, of course. Friend and, and boss of Ben, but with the way things went for Ben and their last meeting between Karen and Ellison at the funeral, uh, things start off at least a little tense. 
It does, but she's there. It's it's all business. She wants to talk about the Frank Castle article. It's inaccurate by omission. She mentions that Lieutenant Frank Castle was awarded the Navy Cross in Afghanistan, uh, to which Ellison says the paper knew he was in the service but found no proof of serving. Does that mean it was classified work? Yeah, was it was it classified? Was it uh, swept under the rug? The first thing they do, and that's a real thing, is they will check uh, military histories whenever there is a mass shooting. But she has seen the medal engraved with his name, and she didn't, he didn't get it off eBay. And the picture shaking the hand of the secretary. So uh, they are going to work together here. So what you're saying is, Pete, that despite the fact that it's classified top secret, it's time for her to take a gander with the G-men don't want you to know? Yes. Wow. Call back to another podcast. Um, I like, too, that, that there's kind of the extra um, information given. The wife's name is mentioned. The daughter's name is mentioned. Pete, what about Frank Jr.? Even he's mentioned, too. He is. Um, Karen wants to, to look around at the old issues. Um, in exchange, the bulletin gets the exclusive. And then, fun fact, Pete, the incident, that's when the space aliens came. Wiped out all the servers, so the only back copies are news printed upon paper, if you can believe it. Which space aliens, though, Matt, because this seems to have been a development, and it's referenced that Ben Urich must be looking down somewhere amused by all this. I think that was the Ultron incident when you had all sorts of things in the machines. Mm, I like that answer better. So you, one point to Pete there. (laughs) Um, I I like too, though, that it's, it's not kind of like hammering home. This refers to the movie that came out, you know, last May or, or, you know, whatever. It's, it's just flexible enough for you to go, oh, right. The other, some other thing that happened. Um, So, uh, so yeah, good on you, Pete. I think you you win that round. Matt, I'm I'm sure our listeners do, but do you know what they refer to as the library of a newspaper? What they call it? Well, I know I I know in an actual library it's called the stacks. Well, in a newspaper, their archives, their libraries, referred to as the morgue. Ooh, that was actually going to be my guess, like the graveyard or something. Okay, all the dead stories go. Huh. <laughs> Back we go to Electra, who takes out a special recording pen. Um, at least there's kind of the, I don't recall if there's a sound effect, but there certainly is the. There the, is. Matt reacts to it uh, ah, yes. two buildings over. <laughs> That's how good his special hearing is. Or how loud it was. Um, she starts to then question the particulars of the medical subsidiary. Mm-hmm. Almost instantly, uh, the, the, the businessmen in there are told that the Roxxon servers are being hacked. And all of a sudden, everyone is much more preoccupied with that. Electra seems vaguely pleased that she's asked, uh, uh, when she's asked if they can reconvene in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, Pete, I don't know if such recording hacking pens are actually a thing. But much like the James Bond rebreather from uh, Thunderball, I saw it happen on screen. So I believe it is. Yeah, or even if it was the type of thing where it was disrupting a signal or whatnot, we we suspend our disbelief. We don't fully know her game yet, but 
all right, message sent to them, message sent to Murdoch, story moves forward. And we find ourselves in Josie's bar where Foggy is meeting Marcy, who's been doing well for for herself in commercial land as of late. At least the actress has. Side note, there were some commercials I kept seeing. And I'm like, she looks familiar. She looks familiar. And before this episode, I was like, that's that blonde lady from the law firm that Foggy wasn't a part of. But good to, to this- see old Amy Rutberg there back as uh, Marcy on top of the great references that are made across this Marvel Netflix Defenders Hell's Kitchen. Marcy has got a new job at HC&B and then quickly figures out that Foggy needs help. The DA is putting pressure on Nelson Murdoch hard. Marcy is shocked, shocked to discover that she's been called here under semi-false pretense, then promptly spills that uh, the partners see Reyes as headed for the mayor's office. Yes, that Marcy is working at Jaron Hogarth's law firm, Hogarth Chow and Benowitz oh. is great. Okay, having lost her job helping uh, Nelson and Murdoch when she was at Landman and Zach. But uh, now, apart from her new job, there's all sorts of uh, stuff going on. Rumors amongst her coworkers about uh, a lady by the name of Jessica Jones and the precedent that the uh, future mayor, the current district attorney, is hoping to make by getting all these vigilante types off the street. You know who she thinks is next, Matt? That horny one. Not Jessica Jones. (laughs) Or Luke Cage. Or Foggy. You must mean Daredevil. Hold on, because he has horns on his head. Yes. By the way, Pete, I will admit to our listening audience that when she made the, the... Passing reference to HC and B. I did not. Uh, I did not put that together as. Come on, uh, bro. I, hey, you know what, Pete? We move uh, from one Marvel property to the next to the next, and uh, you recognize Jessica Jones. I did. That na- okay, I, was, I did. I would begin to worry if you know that didn't resonate. But you know, just these these cool little. And it doesn't need to be a lot. You know, there it wasn't even the name specifically of the firm. But to connect her as a lawyer, hey, we have this other show where they have lawyers. So there there we go. Uh, Marcy is there. And the same way we had Sergeant Brett Mahoney in Jessica Jones in the police precinct uh, to have another upholder of the law, albeit uh, somebody at a firm that's probably trying to uh, subvert the law. Great little nod. Absolutely. It also explains the one thing that I was <clears throat> unclear about, which was how, how Marcy makes reference to uh, like Jessica Jones being an hour. Oh, you are like as part of whatever. And I was like, but uh, yeah, I didn't quite get that. But now I do, Pete. Now I do. Um, there's the reference there to Marcy having the conclusion that uh, Reyes is taking a citywide disaster and turning it into fine lemonade. Watch out. Damn fine lemonade. Back at the New York Bulletin, it's been three hours, so says Ellison. So Karen knows she's got to get to dinner because she's going to be running late. She has gone through all the papers from the week that Castle 
was shot. We still never got a time frame, but uh, one of the dates, April 14th, came up. That was when the family was murdered. And it's the stuff here, Matt, 59 already, um, that Ellison remembers. He can't remember his kids' birthdays, but violent, soul-sucking events, they get seared into his brain. There was the gang-on-gang violence in Central Park, um, and it took a week to get it into the paper, but three gangs, um, which I got to call uh, shenanigans here. If three gangs murdered a family in Crossfire in Central Park in our world, that's front page news. Well, there is reference made at one point to, um, you know, if if the newspapers didn't go for the uh, Cleavered Cleavers moment, which it took me a minute to understand the newspaper jargon there that that you know, with the newspapers not atta- not uh, mentioning the attack on a perfect family, um, what's this say about who's trying to keep this out? Uh, that's not a direct quote, but there is that right. that mentioned there by the editor of just kind of like, wow, if it didn't even make it to the clean newspapers, the ones that aren't up to no good, et cetera, et cetera, you know, who who stopped it? Kind of Somebody was story stream was stifling it, but it was a convergence of the Mexican cartel, the dogs of hell, and kitchen. Irish in this total massacre. There were some interesting other headlines there, Matt, alongside that. One about a prominent socialite charged with child endangerment. Wondered if that was maybe a little bit of a hint towards Jessica Jones as well. What with um, Patsy's mother? Ah, yeah, it was it was a scene kind of chock full of little things where I wanted to pause. I, of course, as as referenced, I think earlier on the, the podcast, um, I chose to pause on the article itself, which was next to a dummy article. Like the article itself was very readable and about six or seven paragraphs that were all legible and made sense. And then the paragraph next to it literally was just like it was like purple, purple, blue with orange face. And it was just it was complete nonsense words. It was like. Guys, you can't have a real article that we can pause and read next to a fake article. Like, choose one or choose the other, but you can't do both in this world of it's all streamed to you over Netflix and you can hit pause at any time to go, ooh, how deep into the world can I go? Matt, I have made a fake article for a film that uh, happened on Friday, so a couple days ago. So I have a little bit of experience in this. And, uh, yeah, you need it to, to be big. You don't want the article itself to be read. You want the headline read. You want the images looked at. So it, it, it is a little bit of an art. Well, Pete, we might be victims of looking too much at frozen uh, scenes, but the greater victims, as you mentioned, all this gang violence, the Mexicans, the Irish, the dogs of hell. Hey, wait a minute, Pete. They're all also victims of the Punisher. And where did this happen? Wait, Pete. It's not the circle. It's like Don Draper said. Where is it, Pete? Where is it? The carousel. Ah. That's a Mad Men reference. It's a show you'll see one day, Pete. With that, Karen ups and leaves because she almost forgot dinner. 
Yes, uh, headed over there, and I love the dance that goes on. How was your day? Uh, oh, well, Karen just had a regular day around the office. Whose office? Yeah, the New York Bulletin, but I'll leave that part out. How was the new client? Oh, no big deal. No corporate espionage going on there. You know, we're just going to lie to one another. Pete, this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship filled with dishonesty and sneaking around. I'm sure it's going to be great. Next stop, season 10. It's going to be beautiful. The children, it'll be just just fantastic. Um, I did have to wonder, though, if they were making a mutual comment, male and female, about uh, balancing personal and professional lives. Uh, regardless, Karen steps away and tells Matt to order something fantastic. And uh, the story taking no opportunity to slow down. The maitre d' comes and Matt wants help ordering fine wine. But instead, there's a call for him. And uh, Pete, who's on the old ringy ding ding but Electra herself? Exactly. That um, he can keep the money. Uh, that uh, consider this her firing him. And we flash back here where they are uh, in a car pulling up to a house. They're both speaking French. And uh, yeah, Matt, there's uh, some interesting stuff about to go on, apart from the fact that this is not Electra's house. She would die in the suburbs. Uh, we know what that's like. This is, of course, taking place in Le Passé. That's the, the past in French. Um, it's the home of some random Nachos associate who's in Mar Monte Carlo, where, fun fact and also unused uh, little joke for Pete at the top, uh, prostitution is legal. Um, but more importantly, Pete, they break in and uh, she decides that while in the kitchen there, it's a great time to cut the cheese and to cut the cheese upon Matt's stomach. <laughs> None of it a metaphor. Yeah, and uh, fancy foodstuffs being unloaded from the fridge there, baby pickles, etc. They talk about once he graduates, uh, if he starts going to class again, further proof of her poor influence on him, um, that eventually they will get married, houses, uh, if not in Santorini, San Sebastian, Paris, when they're feeling cosmopolitan, that this is how they're going to live as uh, she uses the blade there rather nimbly to, uh, to feed him the cheese that sweet little Ellie and her simpleton brother, Maddie Jr., they will just uh, send them off and they will have sex all the time. <laughs> It was at this point that I realized the show was kind of reappropriating the traditional love triangle by having the Matt-Karen romance in the present while the Matt-Electra romance was in the past, um, which is a neat way to do it. I think it would have been a little hackneyed to be like, but I'm your old girlfriend and I'm your new girlfriend. Um, so I like that they're kind of able to have their story cake and eat it too. Uh, while in the kitchen there, there's lots of glass smashing because pete if you haven't figured it out electra she's she's just dangerous and and wanton uh matt senses someone is there electra steps away to see who it is and uh then the big reveal it's roscoe sweeney the man who killed matt's father yeah and and back to the glass smashing here we go three four and then we get the true extent as to her bad influence on him he's suddenly forget the breaking in with her 
okay, now he's breaking things himself. You know, I caught that, but hadn't quite put it through. Um, but it's a, it's a great observation there that, uh, yeah, he's, he's on this downward path as well. But uh, back in the present day, Matt wants to leave the restaurant. He's almost in a panic. Karen knows where they can go, and they end up in a brightly lit Indian restaurant seen in the film 500 Cigarettes. Really? Really. It's, uh, I don't know the name of it. I, I had meant to look it up, but uh, immediately I recognized it. Just beca- I mean, I don't know about you, Pete. I've never seen a restaurant like that in, in, in my travels in this world. Um, so I'm absolutely sure it was in 500 Cigarettes. Pete, the restaurant, by the way, a quick internet search has shown that it is Panna 2. That's on uh, number 93 First Street in Manhattan. Uh, probably what those two were eating was the Panna Special. That gets your appetizer, your soup, your partha, your condiments. Uh, comes along with uh, pilaf rice, brown rice, cabbage, dal, and onion chutney. So, yum. But the upside of this scene, apart from the tremendous visuals, which we'll go over in a moment, is that Matt has always felt more comfortable with the cheap stuff. Um, Karen, of course, coming from hailing from Vermont, a town of only 400 people where the most ethnic thing on the menu, French fries, uh, had never had Indian food until two years ago. That's why you love the city Matt. Um, but even with all the bad things here, um, you know, they, they can still find secrets. They can still find things that entice them about the city. By the way, Pete, in a weird turn of interuniversal, multiversal uh, connectedness, the second uh, indirect reference to Vermont in a podcast in three or four days, uh, Batman v Superman featuring a cameo by real-world Batman fan and real-world Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy. So it's all Vermont-nected. That's the conduit through which the DC and Marvel universes form one geeky multiverse. Okay, Matt, let me tell you now about NJ Toys and Collectibles, which has been family-owned and operated with a passion for toys and collectibles for over 20 years. They carry a wide variety of items from Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, as well as many other comic heroes. They proudly ship internationally, and if you buy now and use our exclusive coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you can save 10% on your first order. NJ Toys and Collectibles is your source for exceptional vintage and modern toys. Visit www.njtoysandcollectibles.com. That's NJ Toys and Collectibles today. Pete, there's also talk, eloquent talk, about the Big Apple whose size and grit and crime actually makes her feel safe she describes the restaurant with its uh, thousands of chili pepper lights. It's not tacky. It's vibrant and beautiful. And magic even here. Um, they go to head back to her place. Uh, but there's, again, Matt, the dance here. You sure you don't live two more blocks? They sit down. He tells her he's going to kiss her, which is kind of unromantic, but strangely works here. But that he doesn't want to go up, that that night has been so great that he wants to keep it going and that he just has this incredible ability to bring 
disaster to these situations. Pete, if I've learned anything from the the multi-generational documentary nonfiction series called The Sesame Streets, it's that they do what all New Yorkers do. They sit on the stoop to talk. In New York. In New York. Um, but I like, I have to say, I buy, genuinely buy that he wants to hold off to keep the perfection of the night. Tonight has been perfect. If he keeps it perfect, then maybe tomorrow it will continue to last and the day after and the day after. And and it's heartfelt, if not completely unbelievable, because Deborah Ann Wall is calling him hither to her boudoir. And come on, dude. But I buy the fiction, Pete. I buy the fiction. But as he walks away, he runs into a guy who's looking to get fixed up. Suddenly we hear sirens, another uh, call out there, how much you got. And the city grabs hold of Matt Murdock again. He loosens his tie because it's time for business and a flashback. Roscoe is tied up pretty elaborately, says my notes. Later would go on to find out that that's – I. I'm quite sure, Pete, the Kimbaku, which um, I think we will touch on in some gentlemanly manner in uh, in a later segment. But so he's elaborately tied up. Electra notes that the the scum always arises. Her sense of danger is suddenly a bit more realistic. She even taps Roscoe twice with the dull edge of the knife, and uh, he laughs at the prospect of this pretty boy before him getting some sort of revenge. That pretty boy won't do anything to him. Yeah, and she blows his cover here. He's been living under a, an, an alias, an assumed name for years here. Al Marino, an ugly name for an ugly man. <laughs> um, speaking of blown uh, secrets here, it's uh, revealed that uh, Roscoe killed Matt's dad. But Roscoe is nonplussed. He's killed lots of guys' dads. Um, a few hits later, hits from Matt, Roscoe spits out a tooth and is ready to be hit more. Electra, excited perhaps in more than one way, tells Matt to hit harder, to let it out. Matt does just that. He beats and beats Roscoe. Electra gasping while he's looking on, looking delighted and, dare say, orgasmic. Um, yeah, Matt- definitely thrilled at this darkness. She later alludes to Matt having inside of him coming to the surface that um that he's gotta let it all out here do it for your father do it for daddy wow paging uh (laughs) paging electra the uh traditional character not just the one here um at any rate matt is is done and roscoe's face is puffy and red and broken but matt will not kill him he will not take electra's knife to, to finish the job um and electra seems like a woman cornered here he's not going to play um her nonsensical game the right way as she views it instead he calls nine one one, only to discover that electra has gone yes and uh we see the door open. There was this moment too, Matt, where having called in the felon, uh, who's wanted in Roscoe Sweeney, you wondered if Matt, who we know in the present time is racked with guilt for the things that he's done, feeling that his work is not yet finished would stand there and allow himself 
to take the rap for the breaking and entering and the beating of this man, but uh, he vanishes as well. In the present day, he's got the round glasses, so it is. Uh, Matt is at uh, Electra's uh, apartment, penthouse, etc. She's in a red robe. Um, and uh, he asks her why she took him to that mansion all that time ago in last scene. So why did she? It's because he's always had a glorious darkness to him. She thought he could do it, and she thought that's why uh, she loved him and he loved her. During the course of this conversation, she uh, she is, is exiting the scene, or at least exiting the, the, the portion of set that we see and uh, slips out of the robe, suggestive of uh, changing her clothes. But before that happens, we start to hear the barely audible thuds, which, of course, Matt can hear much better. Suddenly, he's explaining that there is a silencer being used in the lobby. Who is it, Electra? Oh, if I had to guess, Yakuza. No big deal. But that's not possible. Daredevil took care of the Yakuza, Matt. I guess he never considered that uh, there might be more than one Yakuza cell in this world. Um, in close-ups, we, we indeed see that she's dressing uh, red and black, mm-hmm. uh, being her colors, and she asks Matt to hold her gloves. Uh, she knows him. No, she doesn't. Yes, she does, asking if he needs to be pushed this time. She opens a bag to reveal what, Pete? Daredevil's helmet and explains that when she had been to the Yakatomi building earlier that day that she had infiltrated Asano, the Japanese branch of Roxxon, and that she's not an idiot. She did not register this um, building in her name, but she had high confidence that she could manipulate Matt into being here. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat in Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Matt, let's begin with Electra Nachos. In retrospect, she's even more trouble than the episode uh, presents, at least scene by scene. And I have to wonder. How much of this is kind of a, um, I don't know, traditional gender presentation? She's the bad rich girl. She wants only bad things. She is Eve to his pure and perfect Adam. Um, so your thoughts there, Pete? I mean, she she kind of comes off as a well-rounded character, but we got four episodes of a Punisher arc, and now in this episode we get one episode of, you know, Elektra is here and the entire backstory and what she's up to. Definitely not where I anticipated than taking the character at least right away. Um, but between the social aspect there and, and calling Matt out for his, his wingtips and having saved him one minute from being escorted out of the fancy faculty party to ridiculing him the next and then beginning this really kind of twisted, uh, I don't, think romance is even the word i i don't feel romance whereas so much as i feel uh that it, it's lust for one another it's it's pure magnetism um going on um i mean she's she's a foil for him in every single way it's no more apparent in the scene where 
she is presenting her boyfriend, somebody she has just told she intends to marry with a gift. But unlike, you know, your dog bringing you a dead bird to the back door, hey, it's the guy that murdered your father, honey. Yeah, I, I will be interested to see where we go with her. Uh, to me, there's there's not the egregious kind of gender foul, but I feel like it it could head into that territory, and I would be surprised if it did. But it, it's something to keep an eye on as uh, as the story develops. Roscoe Sweeney Matt not seen since the first season, the murderer of battling Jack Murdoch. What do you make there? His um, his presentation, which is to say his acting, I thought was just a little over the top for my taste. It was kind of a little, I don't know, it seemed like somebody doing a New York mobster put on as opposed to kind of really believing in the moment. Um, that said, he does nonetheless come across as a vicious guy and somebody who would laugh when punched and, you know, who would be sure that, uh, that the pretty boy won't won't say what he's claiming he will do or rather won't do what he's claiming to say. Um, so yeah, I guess, I, I guess it, it seemed to be a note off to me. I like that they could go back and dig for this piece in Matt's history and that Electra having mined this earlier at Fogwell's where we had seen Roscoe before and, and the whole thing with, uh, his father having, uh, you know, engineered the situation where he would throw the fight and then changing his mind and the, the redemption before his death there. Um, but I, I fall in a little bit, not to the extent I think where you were that, um, you know, was just a little over the top. Uh, but again, that's New York. Hey, who else is on the list, Pete? The Yakuza, Matt. They're back. As I said before, to me, it makes complete sense. I mean, I don't know much about the Yakuza, but I know that they're like in Japan and maybe they're here too. So if you at the very least present a Japanese gang um, in New York City and say that you wipe them out, well, you didn't wipe them all out. You wiped out the New York branch of a Japanese-based crime group. So if they're going to send they're going to send more baddies on the way, that's... Um, I'm surprised that Matt's surprised, and I think it might be more a function of the the episode ending requirements for writing versus like perhaps a more realistic line of like, oh, I knew that they'd come back one day, but I didn't suspect so soon, as opposed to I shall represent the audience and say, what? They're supposed to be gone. Well, that Electra is preparing to, she's already taunted and now preparing to tangle with forces this strong something that daredevil has struggled with on his own that they're both about to and i'm sure the next episode is going to begin with this confrontation um you know pick up there and and pit the two of them here her getting what she always wants out of matt this glorious darkness he trying to right wrongs and to protect people, no matter how bad they might be. Can you imagine, Pete, some sort of, uh, you know, again, in my spoiler-free existence, I, I will be lucky if this is a, a, an accurate prediction, but some sort of daredevil 
Electra Punisher trio of 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 do gooding with a dark edge. We'll have to see. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Pete, here's a question for you. We get a little insight into the notion that Lieutenant Frank Castle was doing these, uh, these you know, classified missions. There was the pill-popping Finn in last episode. Do you think that we're going to kind of close the circle even more as discussed uh, in the past, as discussed in, in the last Daredevil podcast, where, you know, secret military operations, the, the nuke pills and, and Punisher all under one umbrella? Well, you got to remember who you're talking to, Matt. Uh, do you want to know? Okay, I, how about this? I don't want to know. What do you think? What do you think of that as a theory from this point forward, five episodes in? I think it's a decent theory, and we are dealing with a very specific neighborhood in New York City of Hell's Kitchen, where all of these characters reside. Whether that'll be the case or not, you're asking me to spoil, which. Uh, with great spoiler comes great responsibility, Matt. I only do that when we go to see The Dark Knight Rises and I turn to you and tell you, oh, yes, that's Talia Agul. And my my heart falls. Uh, Pete, what theories do you have? Well, let's begin with Electra. Her father is dead. Uh, as she tells Matt early on in the episode, there are her dealings with this uh, Japanese subsidiary of Roxxon, the Yakuza, as a result of that. How connected is this? Well, I think that I think that there certainly is plenty of room from the from the uh, always evil Roxxon to uh you know, the notion of Japanese uh, organized crime and all of that. Um, it would be, it, he, here's the difficulty for the story, though. The idea of Roxxon as the business front with also bad stuff going on and a gang connection, that sounds awfully like last season. So though it's completely reasonable to say, as has been said in earlier episodes of Daredevil, there's a power vacuum. These powers, uh, these bad powers are, are moving to fill it and the gangs are fighting and so forth. I'm sure that's completely true. The problem is we don't need to do corporation-fronted bad guy gang conglomeration happens again for season two. At least I don't think we need to. Well, Matt, I mean, if you go back to the way that Electra has been presented on film before that her father is killed in the story by Wilson Fisk, he here behind bars doesn't mean he couldn't have done it. That, uh, again, this this circle of of villains would be even tighter uh, than we had been presented in the first season of the show that uh, maybe bullseyes out there someplace and, you know, he's, he's going to, he's going to take apart a paper clip and, and, and throw it at somebody's jugular. Who knows? Pete, you're reminding me how bad the film is <laughs> and how surely that whoever that daredevil guy was, he's never going to reach any sort of critical or box office acclaim uh, in his, in his future films. If he even still has a career, I'd have to go back and check. 
How about the connections made to Jessica Jones that she is on the radar of people like the mayor now? Obviously, when you watch that show, uh, the, the scandal that embroils that city seems to take on a little bit larger, a little more supernatural of a situation than obviously Wilson Fisk, what with mind control and things like that and uh, Hope's case, but that the uh, Hogarth law firm and Marcy working for them, knowing that they're looking to get rid of uh, or, or shackle Matt, these uh, vigilante types, not to mention powered people, you know, is there a civil war brewing? Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, Pete. That's that that's quite a claim. But I would say that um, the, you know, the fact that they know about Jessica Jones, I shall quote Jessica Jones, or at least paraphrase her. It's not like she's trying to hide. Um, certainly, the fact that we're headed towards, if nothing else, the Defenders miniseries, they they all will be coming together. They will be, you know, fighting some common foe, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and that is, I mean, they need to start to lay story track for that. That's, that, that's the bottom line in that regards. Pete, one last one for me here, and, and I'm not trying to take the podcast into R-rated territory, but just the notion of the episode title, Japanese bondage, all that, that that has to say about power play, what that has to say about, about pain and pleasure, um, that's Electra in a nutshell as presented. And um, I kind of appreciate that they had that episode title and one that wasn't directly referenced because it does kind of, it kind of captures her without kind of saying, oh, 50 shades of Electra or something that's oh, a bit God. more silly. Uh, the sound of me rolling my eyeballs all the way around. Um, yeah. I mean, Th- if that, you, that if may you... be a Japanese fetish too. I don't know. <laughs> If you're going to present it in such a way and you can either take or leave the episode title, you don't need to know what it means to get the thematic element. It, it can work if we had to. And that would be totally poor writing. Kinbaku, that is the ancient art of this would have been way, way too much. But for Electra to have Daredevil's outfit at the end there having been to his apartment knowing her way around as she does and to engineer a situation where they're all going to wind up her the yakuza and him in that apartment um you know forget theories matt just looking forward to some action television because there wasn't a whole lot in this episode We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, Mike Sorensen checked in, and uh, in reference to, uh, I believe it was my claim, but I think you might have shared the sentiment that uh, that uh, Frank Castle was showing some disdain in his graveyard monologue, uh, disdain to the America, uh, disdain about the America he returned to. Here's what Mike has to say. I disagree that there's any disdain in this monologue. I can understand how it might seem that way with the discussion of fast food, but it's not. That's actually just how folks in the military talk. 
even while scarfing down a 99 cent heart attack burger, they'll be bashing it. Um, this monologue, interrupted by only one word, one syllable from Daredevil, should earn Burnthal an Emmy, not just a nomination, but a win. Um, Mike then goes on to share uh, the the entire monologue, which, which of course, I couldn't do justice to, Pete, uh, given Burnthal's performance. But your thought there, Pete, about, about Frank Castle's view of the country that he has uh, worked so hard to defend? I mean... Of course he respects the country and I can completely see a situation. I've never served in the military. Nobody, um, you know, of my brothers has my father did, uh, during Vietnam, but was stationed stateside and the air force was a captain. Um, I can completely see Mike's perspective where people will trash the culture that they're, you know, in the theater of war defending, but, there, there was that aspect to to what Frank Castle was talking about, but it was more so about getting to the moment outside the school with the daughter and, and everything there. So in terms of a reference, really kind of a passing one, nothing to really sit and to fixate on. He hates America. He goes on rampage that we all know that's not why he's doing it. And I don't think that was our intent in pointing that out but he sees at the same time that there is um a problem in this culture with these gangs that he's got a remedy so we can't say that he doesn't think there's something wrong back home perhaps the word disdain was was a tad harsh or at the very least perhaps i was i was colored by by my experience with the the real world service member i'd referenced in the last podcast just this notion of coming home to find a different country than you were fighting for than you thought you were maybe it was always there and now you're seeing it through more mature eyes or battle-hardened eyes or whatever it might be but just this notion of of finding a different place than you than you thought you had left so I uh, certainly want to thank Mike there for the, uh, for the insight and for the, uh, the opportunity for us to have uh, more to chat about. Also, Pete, want to take an opportunity to thank those of you who have gone to patreon.com slash fantastic geek to uh, help keep the conversation going, help make sure that uh, the uh, storage and bandwidth costs for this podcast are, uh, are helped along. We certainly appreciate all that help. Had uh, had a couple new people along the way, Pete. So that's uh, that certainly is very heartening to hear. Absolutely, we are so grateful for everybody that would even consider going to our Patreon page and looking at the perks that uh, they may receive for donating at different levels. We've had donors who have Patreons, patrons who have even donated without uh, wanting to receive some of those. Uh, it's just me. I'd want to get something other than what you're helping to fund with the podcast for my money. We have all sorts of stuff. I'm going to be competing in a uh, screenwriting competition where I was a semifinalist last year. And uh, two of the perks are to somehow wind your your name up in there and to get a copy of the script. So who knows? One day your name could be spoken someplace. Fun, fun, fun. Well, Pete, the way that your name is oftentimes spoken is on Twitter. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 7,410 followers. 
Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is Fantastic with the PH. You can find us on that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, and the Instagram, and more, Pete. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Get there, like it, stay on. Well, Pete, we will just continue racing along with Daredevil. We'll be back before you know it for the next uh, episode. Is that really 206 already as we approach uh, somewhere in the middle? I guess the middle of 207 is the middle of the the season, but certainly racing along here and uh, having quite a jolly time doing it uh, during this hot Daredevil summer. So with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. In this city, a girl needs all the help she can get. (laughs) 